Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is our start of Horror Month 2020. This is where I try to do as many horror movies as possible in the month of October. Last year, I managed to get seven episodes out. This year, I'm hoping to get eight. And this will be our first one. And the movie I have chosen is I have gone for a really interesting one. A uh, It's not necessarily obscure. We're going to get some really obscure horror movies later in the month. I decided to, start with the, decided to start with the more mainstream one. We are talking about the 2011 movie, The Cabin in the Woods, which is... You've pro- a lot. Mo- I'm assuming most people who are listening have already seen this movie, so we're going to dive right into it. But it's a very polarizing movie. There's some people who think this is the greatest movie since sliced bread, and there's some who think this is an outright disaster and they hate it. So this is one that kind of falls right in the middle. And I will admit, this was not my favorite the first time I saw it. But I happen to know a lot of people who really love it and who eventually talked me into it and go back and watch it again. And I've watched it three or four times now. And I have to say, it has really grown on me. I am really a fan of this movie the more I watch it. So I think it's a very fitting choice for our introduction to Horror Month. And now we get to my host for this episode. You may remember her from last year. She did my podcast on The Mist. And she is probably, I know she hates to hear this, probably my my most highly requested co-host out of anybody who's ever been on Staff Picks, just because we had a fun dynamic and it was such a fun show. And let's see, how can I introduce her? Uh, She is a beer chemist, and she says there's three things in her life she loves, horror movies, beer, and cats. And she's very fun to talk to. This is only the second time we've ever met since, let me know, the missed episode. Welcome back to the show, Jesse Bentley. Hi, thanks for having me back, Mario. So, no pressure this time? No, none. (laughs) So, last time, I think that was like the first time or one of the first podcasts you'd ever been on, correct? That was the very first podcast, yeah, that I have ever been on. I don't do a lot of public speaking. I'm a lab rat in my day-to-day life. Um, But if you get me talking about something I like, I I can talk your ear off, so... (laughs) Excellent. And I know, just a little trivia for our Staff Picks listeners, last time you were so nervous before your podcast that you, you got a little drunk, a little tipsy. Correct? A little bit. I had a little bit too much to drink that night because of nerves. So I may have had a beer tonight, but I have not I have not consumed like I did the last time, that's for sure. Okay, that was my question. Have you imbibed tonight? No, I've had, I've had a beer, so we're good. Okay, so this year, in your second appearance on podcast, we'll find out what the magic was last year. Was it Jesse or was it beer? (laughs) Or a combination of both, more than likely. (laughs) Okay, so again, fill people in on your history with horror movies. I know you are a huge horror buff. I have watched horror movies since I was very young, to be honest. I owned uh, the old Night of the Living Dead on VHS. And I used to, the black and white one, I used to watch it all the time as a kid. Um, and as I've gotten older, my taste in horror movies has just kind of been all over the place. I'll watch pretty much anything and everything. Um, my Trent, my boyfriend, makes fun of me all the time because I'll come home after work and put on some B-rated horror movie on Netflix and just sit and watch it. Just some dumb movie. Um I've always been a big fan of the main ones. I'm a huge Stephen King fan, which is why we did The Mist last time. Um, 
But this movie, The Cabin in the Woods, is one that holds a special place in my heart. So I'm glad you had me do this one. Now, why? Why does this one hold a special place in your heart? So, I know you hate Scream. <laughs> I know you hate Scream, and I'm I'm sorry for that. Uh, but it is that's going to follow me to my grave one day. That sentence. Uh, yeah, we'll just have Ghostface on the back of your tombstone. No big deal. Um, but I, I like that satirical idea of a horror movie. Because, to be honest, any more horror movies don't particularly scare me. It's it's hard to find something that's surprising to me or shocks me or I'm, like, thinking about it for days and days after. And this is one of those movies that made me, like, it, it's always stuck with me. It's always made me think about, like, I think about this movie when I'm watching other horror movies. It's It's just one that's always, been, like, stuck with me. Now, okay, now I'm curious, what does scare you? You said very few things ever do. Name one or two horror movies that actually have scared you over the years. Oh, that's a hard question. Um, and you can't say Scream. No, because Scream didn't scare me. I laugh <laughs> when I watch that movie. It still makes me laugh. Um, some, so, to be honest, it, it's movies like almost that are like The Conjuring or stuff like that that deal with more demonic things. And I know a lot of the stuff that happened in The Conjuring and those kinds of movies and like Annabelle are based off of real life things they're based off of that that couple that famous couple i can't remember their name off the top of my head that were paranormal investigators essentially or whatever and um i I think that scares me like the real stuff scares me and i you can say i'm superstitious or whatever um but i will go into fake haunted houses all day long but you try to get me to go into some place that's possibly actually haunted like we have waverly hills here um in Kentucky, it's up in Louisville. It's an old tuberculosis hospital kind of thing, um, and I won't go in there. You could not pay me enough money to go in there. So, well, I'm glad you mentioned old abandoned hospitals. Have you ever seen the movie Session Nine? I haven't. No. That's what I'm covering on Horror Month in a couple of weeks, and that is one that will scare you because it's set in exactly that setting—an old abandoned mental asylum. Yeah. So. I'll have to watch that movie, and then I'll have to listen to that episode, but I'll have to find that one. Okay. Okay. I'll be very excited if I find a movie that actually scares you, so that's my my goal now. I know. Well, other than, like, jump scares, but those are cheap scares. Like, you can get anybody by jumping out at them and going, boo. Like, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, no, that's low. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that, and that's been my argument for years, that modern horror movies tend to rely on that, where it's just, they abuse you, just jump scare after jump scare, which, again, it's a cheap thrill, but it doesn't last. You don't remember or it's it later. A gore fest, or, it's, or it's something like a gore fest like Saw, and I appreciate the Saw movies for their story, but the gore is just stupid at some point. Yeah. Good. This is why you and I get along, because we have the exact <laughs> same taste in horror movies, other than Scream. I was going to say, except for Scream. Except for <laughs> yes. Scream. Okay, well, The Cabin in the Woods. Now, I will uh, flat out admit, I really wanted Jesse back on the show. Again, just because no pressure, but she's the greatest co-host ever. But (laughs) I really wanted Jesse back, and so I let her basically pick the movie. I said, name any movie, and we'll do it next year for Horror Month. And she said, The Cabin in the Woods. And I am notorious for not really liking horror comedies. So this one was kind of a tough sell for me. Yeah, and that's fair enough. But to be honest, you could have asked me back for just about any horror movie and I would have came back. (laughs) I'm glad you tell me that now. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Now that I've roped you into my web. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I've fallen into Jesse's cunning trap. But yes. again, I watched it three times in, in, in preparation for this podcast. And like I said in the intro, I actually really like this movie now because I'm not even sure I'd call it a horror comedy. It's it's more complex than that. There's a lot of elements to this movie. There really are. And I think just starting out in the first, I mean, in the opening scene, you learn that it's it's not going to be your standard horror movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. It's again, for most for most episodes of staff picks, I usually have four or five pages of notes. This one, I have nine. I took a whole lot of notes as well. I have about nine pages of notes as well. Yeah. And I'm shocked because horror movies, by definition, are easier, easiest to do on staff picks because there's so little to talk about. <laughs> But this one, man, is this a complex movie. I was shocked. I'm going through writing down everything. And and this does, of course, tie into the elephant in the room here, that this movie is, it lives or dies based on how much you know about it going into it. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Because if you go, I feel like if you go into it knowing exactly how it ends, you're not going to enjoy it. I feel like part of the enjoyment of this movie is going along with it step by step and the storytelling and kind of figuring it out as, as almost the main characters are figuring it out. Yeah, and I do think at a certain point, like perhaps right now, we should say, if you don't want spoilers, perhaps stop listening to this podcast. Because, again, there are very few movies I would say that about as much as this one, where it's really going to take some <laughs> crazy turns. <laughs> oh, it does. And and it's only an hour and 35 minutes. So, like, pause the podcast. Go watch it. It's on Hulu. Go watch it and come back. All that's what you got to do. Okay. And that is your warning, people. That's our very first <laughs> warning right here again, because from here on out, anything goes. Okay, Jesse, there's no spoilers at this point. I mean, it's, it's goes. yeah, fair game. Okay. So here's my big question. Did you see this in the theater? And B, how much did you know about it going in? And C, what was your reaction the first time you saw it? Okay. So for A, it came out in 2011. I was still in high school. I did not see this in theaters. I actually probably didn't see it until it came um, to streaming and stuff. And so that was maybe 2013, 2014. So I was in college when I first saw this. Um, I wasn't a big theater kid, like actually going to the movies kind of a kid, which I know is like the complete opposite of you. You lived in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was never my thing. I'm from a small town. So we had to drive like 30, 40 minutes to get to a movie theater. It wasn't worth it. Um so part B, you said, what did I know about it going into it? Is that correct? Yeah. Like how much did you know about the story before you saw it the first time? Nothing. I knew, I honestly, I went into this thinking this is just going to be some other dumb horror movie. It's got Chris Hemsworth in it. Let's watch it. <laughs> same, same sister. <laughs> um, and part C, what did I think when I first watched it? I ever since the very first time I've watched this, I said this is my this is going to be my favorite horror movie. Like anything, I, I like have to top this because I came out of it going this is so meta, and I hate that word meta. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But that's what I said coming out of it. I was like, this is meta. This explains so much. Oh my gosh! And for like a week after, I kept thinking about every other horror movie I'd watched, and I was like, oh my god, this makes so much sense. <laughs> So you were fully on board with this movie every single time it took a left turn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time I was because, like I said, it takes a lot to shock me. It takes a lot to I feel like I could I could almost write your typical horror movie like 
you know, standard plot line, whatever. But this takes so many left turns, right turns, loop-de-loops. I couldn't keep up with it. I was like, whoa, this is – it just it shocked me, but, like, in, in a good way. Yeah, it's funny. I don't remember having that strong a reaction to it the first time. But, like, I remember when it came out. Now, I didn't hear about this movie. I don't necessarily see a lot of horror movies in theater – horror movies in theaters anymore. I kind of wait for them to come on video and then I can hear word of mouth. And I just remember all of a sudden half of my Facebook feed was, Oh my God, you got to see the cabin in the woods. It's the greatest horror movie ever. And the other half of my Facebook feed was that was the worst piece of crap I have ever seen. I cannot believe that got made. So it's like, wow, that is really a polarizing movie. Very much. No, I, um, I don't have a whole lot of friends that watch as many horror movies as I do. And so my circle didn't really talk about it, um, but no, that's crazy to think that people had such polarizing views. And it still seems like they do, because I said, oh, I'm doing Cabin on the Woods on Staff Picks, and I had a couple of people say, how could you possibly argue that's under love? That is like the most popular horror movie of the last 10 years. And I have so many other people just saying, ugh, I hate that movie, don't talk about it. <laughs> so it's like, it's still like that. But that's almost like why it needs to be... I'm not saying we need to turn all the haters into lovers because that's never going to happen. Like people either love or hate this movie, like you said, but it's, it's overrated, but it's almost underrated at the same time. I, I think you can make that argument. Yeah. And again, for staff picks, I intentionally left the goal of this show open-ended. It just needs more love. So I could pick yeah. anything really, but yeah, this, I mean, this without question is a movie that every horror fan needs to see to at least make up their mind what they think of it. I think that's probably fair. I agree with you on that, at least. Yeah. Like, make up your own mind. I'm not going to hate you if you hate this movie, but please give it a good watch. Give it a watch. Give it two watches, because like you said, you didn't even like it the first time in. Give it a couple watches. Yeah, there's a lot of subtle stuff that I didn't even catch until, like, my third or fourth viewing. I'm like, oh, I didn't actually see what was going on there. So it's like, this is without question one that you have to watch multiple times, I think. Which is crazy for an hour and a half movie, that it, that it, it takes a couple watches. Okay. Oh, and one last thing before we get into this movie is that I just read, I was reading some trivia on The Cabin in the Woods, and there's a book that came out a couple years ago, 100 Movies You Need to See Before You Die. And this movie was included in there, which is shocking that horror movies make a list like that. But I could see the argument for that, again, because this is a movie that horror movie fans should see, non-horror movie fans should see. It's really just unique. I cannot think of another movie that's anything quite like this. Right, because even in the, in the same genre, you can almost kind of lump scream into it as, as more, like I said, that satirical, kind of satirical, serious movie, but it's so completely different. And in your comment about non-horror fans enjoying this movie, the fun fact, one of my coworkers despises horror movies, is terrified of all of them. I was like, no, please watch this movie. And he did, and he's like, Jesse, I actually really like this movie. It's amazing. And I was like, thank you. Yes, it is. <laughs> So is this indeed your all-time favorite horror movie? I know you'd maybe pitched it as possibly your all-time favorite. I think it has to be. And and I know that's a big claim, and I don't want to put anything definitive in blood and writing anywhere, but at least for modern horror movies, because I feel like older classic horror movies have their own sector in my brain. But as far as modern horror movies go, yes, this is my absolute favorite. Okay, well, there you go. Coming from Jesse, the all-time greatest Staff Picks co-host, it is her favorite <laughs> horror movie. 
Jesse recommendations, everyone. Go watch it. <laughs> yes, that's a, it's a new subsection of Staff Pick. <laughs> All right, so uh, to sum it up for people, again, most people have probably seen it. It's a movie that starts very similar to The Evil Dead, any of these horror zombie movies where a couple goes out to a mountain cabin and bad things happen. And boy, does it take some crazy twists and turns. And let's see, what else do we have to say about it before... Um, we get into the plot. What, do you know much of the backstory of this movie, like how it was made or anything? I don't. I don't know a whole lot about the director or much of the cast other than Chris Hemsworth. Well, and the and Sigourney Weaver, but that's another that's random. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, I don't I don't know too much about it. I don't know much about the background. OK, this is what I was able to ascertain. I read up on it earlier today that it was written by Joss Whedon, who made Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he decided to, uh, it was basically, he called it a loving hate letter to horror movies because he did not like the direction that modern horror movies were going in the 2000s. It was all torture porn, you know, shock, jump scares. He just didn't like the way it was going. So this movie was kind of his, his response to that. It's kind of a deconstruction where it's like a different way of looking at horror. And again, it just kind of came out of nowhere, uh, started a bunch of unknowns. You mentioned Chris Hemsworth, who became obviously much more famous later. But this is one of his first movies, and nobody, I think, would have known who he was at the time, I would assume. Yeah, this was early in his career, to my knowledge. It was like one of the first ones. It was wait, it was before he became Thor, before he was that face. So, yeah. I think I read he got Thor because someone saw him in this movie, and they said, that guy's going to be a star. I think I read that somewhere. Huh. That's interesting. Okay, and my favorite trivia fact about this movie, which I did not know until I read this today, is do you know who did the makeup for this movie? This is really kind of interesting. Oh, it's got to be somebody big if you're bringing it up. No, I don't know who it is. There is a woman who starred in the original Nightmare on Elm Street. She played uh, Nancy. Was that her name? Uh, I don't know. Are you talking about the main girl? Yeah, Heather Langenkamp. Yeah, okay. She eventually retired from acting, and she married a special effects artist in Hollywood, and she and her husband did all the makeup on this movie. That's awesome. That's a really cool little fun fact. No, I'm going to tuck that in my brain. I'm going to pull that back out sometime. That's awesome. There you go. So, yeah, so Heather Langenkamp came back, and this is her return to horror, and this movie is very much defined by its special effects and monsters. So, yeah, more power to her. She and her husband were a large part of this movie. Very good. couple claps for her. Good job. All right. So are you ready to dive into the cra- one of the craziest movies I have ever done on Staff Picks? Let's do it. Okay. So uh, how do we start? This movie starts so much differently than any other horror movie. Walk us through the first couple minutes of this movie. Oh, I love it. Um, okay. So the, the first opening scene is these two guys uh, talking around a water cooler. Uh, this one guy's getting a cup of coffee. They're chit-chatting about their daily lives. He's like, well, my wife's trying to get pregnant, and she's starting to put locks on everything. She's even got the upper cabinets. He's got to be a giant to reach those, and they, they don't even have a kid yet. So it's just these two coworkers in what could be your everyday office setting, just chit-chatting, shooting crap. And then um, they, they kind of go out from getting coffee, and this woman in a lab coat runs up, and she's like, Oh my God, Stockholm went south. What's going to happen? And they're like, don't worry about it. You got Japan. You got us. We got a perfect track record. We're going to be fine. And then 
one of my favorite part well not favorite parts but like something i've always enjoyed is they're like they're like oh well the glitch in uh 98 was the chem department's fault and she's like and then they're like well, well what department do you work in and the lady in the lab coat works in chem department and so she just kind of you know gets all sad and they drive off on this little golf cart motorized thing um it's funny. And then so as soon as they're driving off, he's still um, he's still talking. He's still, you know, being like, well, my wife and this and that. And he's like, are you even listening? And then it cuts to the cabin in the woods, the screen, like with the movie name on it. And that's what we get for our first opening scene. <laughs> yes. As so many of the great horror movies do, it starts in an, in an office cubicle with two white collar workers. Yeah. <laughs> I read the the director specifically put that scene at the start of the movie because he wanted people to think they wandered into the wrong movie. Well, and you almost do. You're like, what, what, what's going on? <laughs> it's, it's so it's it's it, coming into the movie a second or third time. It makes it even better. But like your first time going in, you're literally like, what movie am I watching? <laughs> what piece of crap is this going to be? Is it, it going to be like some office slasher? Like you don't know. But one of my favorite things that um, when they mentioned the glitch in 98, I don't I, I tried to look this up and I have thought and thought and thought and been like, what horror movie came out in 1998 that could have been this glitch? Mm-hmm. And I think the the general consensus online is that it's a movie called The Faculty, which I have never watched. Hmm. OK, I don't and know. I don't one. know if you've no. seen it. Nope. OK, it, it has Elijah Wood in it. <laughs> so that was the glitch. Elijah Wood was the glitch. Well, actually, it kind of was. It had something to do with chem- chemicals and turning somebody into a monster and blah, blah, blah. But I, I had to look that up because I was like, what movie is this? So I-, I think that's the general consensus online. Damn it. Frodo ruined horror. Damn it. Frodo Baggins. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that opening is fantastic. It's just office workers talking. Again, it's this big business corporation. We'll find out later what it is. It has a large part to do with this movie. But if you've never seen it, you have no idea where it's going. And it's just big jumps right on the screen. Cabin in the woods and big old Sam Raimi 180 font. <laughs> Red letter just right on the screen. And you're like, OK, then that's an opening scene. All right, and with that, we meet the office workers. We will find out later their names are Mr. Sitterson and Mr. Hadley, the two who run this organization. And now we are going to meet the other stars of the movie, the five young people who will be going to the titular cabin in the woods. Let's let's talk about them, Jesse. Oh, so after this scene, it cuts to pop music and this happy-go-lucky college girl in her underwear packing a bag. And you're like, okay, this is where the horror movie starts. I get it now. Okay. Yeah, I know this part. <laughs> right. Um, so she's sitting there packing her bag. Uh, somebody named Jules, which we find out is her sister, comes in. She just dyed her hair blonde, and they're, like, freaking out that her hair is blonde. Um, and then her boyfriend, Jules's boyfriend, Kurt, comes in, and they're talking, talking about packing, talking about books. Um and then you, it kind of goes outside, and they're, they're, you know, starting to load up this RV. His other friend Holden comes in, and then up rolls Marty, our stoner boy, blaring music and smoking weed. So that's our introduction to your stereotypical five. Okay, yeah. So, okay, to sum this up for people, we got basically two couples. You got Dana, or sorry, Jules and Kurt. That's the party girl, the blonde girl. And Kurt is Chris Hemsworth, her stud boyfriend. 
And then we got Dana, who's like the the shy, one would say the virginal girl. We will, this will come back later. And then the, the guy she's being set up with on a date, Holden. And again, there will not be a test on any of these names later. I'm just laying it out who these, it's basically two couples and then their stoner buddy, Marty, who's tagging along as their fifth wheel. Pretty much. And they've got this old beat up RV and they're like, we're going to go up to Kurt's cousin's cabin for the weekend. Sounds great, guys. <laughs> And, of course, there's one prop here we have neglected to mention. Marty has a very important prop to this movie, which will come in handy later. Now, what would that prop be, Jesse? Um, so it's a wonderful coffee mug that also doubles as a um, as a bong. <laughs> so it's like this collapsible – it's actually quite impressive for, for just a prop or for, like, anything, to be honest. It, it's like this collapsible, expandable bong, and the handle is like the – one piece and it's it's crazy and then he's like oh you're not going to bring that on my dad's rv are you and he's like no of course i wouldn't and collapses it back down into a coffee mug and just carries it on i read somewhere that the director had that bong custom made and it cost five thousand dollars but it actually worked it was a functional coffee mug slash bong so that was a real thing that's crazy (laughs) that has to be like one of the most expensive bongs i've ever heard of (laughs) easily in my top 10 yes (laughs) but that is the one james bond gadget in this movie he will use that to fight the undead so file that away his bong weapon yeah so they're all these five are all headed off into the wilderness and and marty explained it the stoner he's always stoned the whole movie and it's kind of funny the logic he will be the only one who kind of figures out what's going on because he has reached a higher plane of intelligence through his weed (laughs) but he's like we're going off into the woods there's no gps no cell phone unmarked roads it's great it'll be great we'll be off the grid so here we go the experiment is about to begin Ooh, and we do get one little bit of foreshadowing in this initial scene because um, as the RV is driving off into the distance, it pans up and on top of the roof of the house they were in is like their scout. I don't know what else you want to call it. And he kind of radio ends like the eagle has left the nest or whatever presidential stuff people say. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, okay. So scout, you said scout. Um, I will kind of give away the plot of this movie. And again, I really hope you've seen it or you don't care about spoilers, but the people in the control room have a horror movie experiment that all these people are driving into. And so they have one of their little scouts on the roof of the young people's house saying they've left. The mission can begin now. So the people in the control room at the start, the businessmen, this is now the the command center is there in charge of everything that will happen the rest of this movie. And the young people will just be pawns. Yep, and it it I mean that's within the first ten minutes of the movie it lets you know all this. So even if it is a spoiler, it's not that big of a spoiler to be honest. And that's hardly the biggest spoiler. There will be bigger ones later. Okay, so we meet, we go to the control center. We meet Mr. Sitterson, Mr. Hadley, who, in my opinion, the two stars of the movie. I think they're great, and both of them are played by very well-respected character actors, Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford. Who are you familiar with those two? I wasn't until I had seen this movie, and I looked at a few of their um, filmographies, and I'd recognize some of them, but I I didn't recognize either of the people, which I know is awful. But I, it, to me, it felt like they were like seasoned actors. Like it didn't feel like this was their first movie. Yeah. So. And would you agree they're probably the stars of this movie? Oh, all of their one-liners, and uh, yes, by far, I think they are the drive not driving force they're what makes this movie a good movie in my opinion 
And uh, we go to the control center. We see Mr. Sitters and Mr. Hadley. Again, just the old white guys in their shirt and tie, just uh, running this horror movie you know, uh, experiment. And they have an assistant named Truman, which I think is probably a, an homage to the Truman Show, which is very similar to this movie. Do you know the Truman Show? I don't. Oh, well, you should watch the Truman Show. It's very similar to this. Okay, well, I probably enjoyed it if it's anything like this, for sure. Yeah, although there's 100% less impalings. Oh, darn. <laughs> yeah, you'd like that one. That is a smart movie for smart people. Truman Show was a great movie. Hmm, okay. Okay, so here we go. So the young people are traveling into this psychology experiment, horror movie experiment. But first they have to meet the gatekeeper to this whole thing, who is known as the Harbinger. Now explain who he is. Oh, he he's a character, isn't he? Um <laughs> So he's your stereotypical creepy old man, gas station attendant, hillbilly, <laughs> to sum it up. Um, he is basically the guy who they stop to get gas. He runs this gas station, um, and they're trying to get some gas to get up to the place. They don't think they have enough. Um, and he comes out, and he's like, what are you guys doing here? It's closed. And this whole time, he is chewing on this big old wad of tobacco and spitting it everywhere. So that just gives you a, a great picture of this man. Um, and he's got like a dead eye too. So he's, he's all together kind of some weird backwoods gas station attendant. You're stereotypical if you think of some of the other horror movies. Um, but, but, but he comes out and he's basically like, oh yeah, I know that place you're going to. It exchanges a lot of hands. People go up there a lot. Y'all got enough gas to get there, but uh, you should worry about getting back. That's what you should worry about. If if you've seen Friday the 13th, he's basically Crazy Ralph. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. His job is to tell the people, y'all going to die if you go up there. You better not go. And they will choose to ignore him. And again, this is all part of the experiment is that everything the characters do in this movie has to be free will. It must be of their own free will. They must be given warnings, but they must choose to ignore them. And the Harbinger is like the first test. It just is because, again, we're all following a pattern, a stereotype here of horror movies. They must do this for this all to happen. Yeah. And um, it, it, he definitely fits that stereotypical, uh, like you said, the guy from Friday the 13th. It, it's very stereotypical. The camp's got a death curse. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this Harbinger is great because we'll see him later talking to the guys in the control room and they just make fun of him. They don't they don't like this guy. So he'll come back a little bit later. Oh, yeah. He's not done yet. <laughs> okay, so here we go. The five kids get in their RV, and they drive off through the, you know, the stereotypical creepy, isolated road through this isolated mountain pass on this really narrow ravine. And again, it's just like the Evil Dead. If you've seen those types of movies, they go to this place, and it's all you know abandoned. They find this house. It's called the Buckner Place. But we get one really cool moment, and I've liked this every time I watch it. There's, there's a little giveaway here, what these people are, are, are going into when we see the bird. Yes. Um, so they start going through the tunnel in their RV, and it kind of pans out into the greater surroundings. And before they get out of the other side, this eagle, hawk-looking thing, um, he's flying, just chilling, looking for bird, or rabbits or whatever hawks eat, and crashes into this invisible force field and just kind of topples down. Yeah, that's a cool effect. And 
what we will learn later is this entire, this house, this cabin out in the woods is surrounded by a force field. Again, very similar to the Truman Show, where it's a controlled environment. They're basically on a reality show. It's all being controlled. And again, it's given away at the start when this bird flies into the electronic field surrounding it, drops right down to the ground. But from here on out, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's really just a TV show. These people are going to be put through a TV show for we will learn a, a larger audience than perhaps we're expecting. Uh, quite larger, yes. Okay, so what happens when they get to the cabin? Um, so after they get to the cabin, um, they're kind of exploring, going around. Um, and one of the guys discovers, um, he goes into his room, because they're all going into their room starting to unpack, and there's this super creepy painting on the wall, and it. <laughs> Like, the more I look at it, because I was like, well, let me kind of analyze this painting. I was like, this is weird. <laughs> it's like this sacrificial goat lamb, and everybody's stabbing it. And in the background, there's this creepy Slenderman looking guy holding a knife. And he's like, this isn't going to, I'm not having this up in my room watching me while I sleep. So he takes it down, and lo and behold, there is a two-way, or uh, not two-way, a one-way mirror, like an old-school interrogation-style room um and he can see into dana's room and she starts undressing and him being the gentleman that he is goes and stops her and shows everybody this this like cool little one-way mirror what i like about this movie and the more i watch it the more i pick up on this is they really set you up with expectations on what's gonna happen and it never does happen like in real life in the in the evil dead they go into the movie in the cabin and the cabin's all creepy and everyone's like yeah whatever but in this one, the characters are smart. They're like, you know, that's a devil painting on the wall with a goat being ripped apart. I don't think I want that on the wall. And they actually take it down. And so, like, there's all these things where they set up your expectations on what's going to happen in the horror movie. And, like, the characters are smart. They start doing things that the people wouldn't normally do in a horror movie later. But we find out it doesn't matter because their actions are all going to be controlled despite uh, against their will. Uh, controlled, yes. Yeah, manipulated might be a better word. But, yes. Okay, yeah, so all the people are getting in the cabin, the five people, and they're just moving stuff around and getting their room set up. And we go back to the control center, all the business people, and, and they're like, places, everyone, we have a room change. We have to change the scenario. So, again, they're, they're like, scenario adjustment, scenario adjustment. Are we ready for this? Yeah, and this is where we find that they are subtly manipulating the people's behavior in the cabin. They start piping in pheromones. They're like, okay, release the pheromones through the vent. And we get this little mist coming in. And it basically makes the characters start to get horny. Like in a horror, like if you wonder why people behave so stupid in a horror movie, this movie has an explanation. Well, because we're piping different chemicals in there to make them behave in a certain way. Well, not only that, they were also talking about how they're doing things to slow down their cognition, mm -hmm. like um, Jules's hair dye, her her new blonde hair dye. They're like, oh, well, it's going to slowly excrete into her blood the stuff that basically makes her stupid, and her, her um, inhibition goes down, essentially. Yeah, yeah, I didn't catch that until multiple viewings, that they point out, you know, as the movie goes along, Jules gets stupider. Like, she's actually fairly smart at the start, and then she becomes the dumb blonde, but because they, the control people need her to be a dumb blonde to make it a horror movie. Right. Well, they even say at one point, like, she's pre-med, and, I mean, pre-med students aren't, like, st the stupidest people out there, you know? <laughs> yes. I know, it's usually beer chemist and then pre-med right under it, but they're very close to you guys, right? 
Uh, I mean, pre-med, yeah, it's all chemistry, biology, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, in order to do that, it can't be, she can't be that stupid. And and Marty even makes a comment later on, like, why is she acting like a dumb bimbo or something along those lines? Like, Yeah, and I did not catch that my first viewing. I did not realize that the characters start one way and they start morphing off into different directions as it goes along. And it's kind of subtle. They don't linger on that. But it's actually very clever because that obviously one of the complaints with horror movies that everyone's a stereotype. This movie has a plausible explanation. They're specifically being driven to into certain stereotypes by the people controlling the experiment. Well, yeah, because every time like you watch these movies and you're like, why did she do this? Why is she crawling backwards instead of getting up and running? Blah, blah, blah. There's like all these common sense things that you're like, why are these characters not doing? And this movie gives you an explanation for it. Yeah, absolutely. My, my personal favorite one, this is much later in the movie, where uh, Dana will stab the zombie and then she immediately drops the knife and runs away. And in horror movies, they're always like, why do you drop the knife to keep the knife? But in this movie, there's a little subtle moment where the controlling people press a little button that electrocutes the knife so she drops it without even realizing. And I, I thought that was very clever. It is very clever. And it's it's like, that's why I love this movie because you, you open your eyes and you're like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. This makes so many things make so much sense. So Yeah, it's definitely one, the more you know about horror movies and tropes and cliches, the more you'll appreciate what they're trying to do with it. It's a very cerebral movie for, again, a slasher movie in the woods. Right, for the cabin in the woods. <laughs> okay, so here's one of my favorite scenes of the movie. So, you know, all the people in the cabin are getting ready, and it's, you know, the fun's about to begin, and now we get a phone call back in the control center that uh, Sitterson and Hadley get a call from the Harbinger, the gas station attendant. And the, the gas station attendant's like, uh, what does he say? We are going to cleanse the world of their ignorance and sin. The ancient ones see everything. And he's like spouting all these uh, cliches. And then he's like, am I on speakerphone? And the people in the control center are giggling because they don't like the harbinger who is known as Mordecai or Morty. They just mock him. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, yeah, my bad. I, I didn't know you were on speakerphone. And he's just uh, basically spouting this occult mumbo jumbo. And the funny thing is, they like leave him on speakerphone, <laughs> and he continues on this completely crazy rant or whatever. Um, and then he's like, guys, this isn't funny. And then they just die laughing, and it's it's glorious. It's a great scene. <laughs> Although the harbinger, the gas station attendant, does warn them, the people back in the control center. This is actually important to the plot. He says, mm -hmm. warning, this one is not by the numbers. The fool nearly derailed the invocation with his insolence. And that's re referring to a point back at the gas station, Marty, the stoner, kind of sassed off to the gas station attendant, didn't let the gas station attendant say his lines, that to follow the script, you must say the lines and follow the script. The, the fool, Marty, sassed off to him. And so already the gas station attendant is warning the people in the control center, this one might not go by the book, be careful. Yeah, but they totally don't even pay any attention to him because they're just too busy making fun of him. Did you catch the irony there? They also ignored the harbinger. Oh, look at you. Yes, right. As they're, as they're mocking the Harbinger, they are doing the one thing that the Harbinger is warning them. Uh, people are not listening to me. Be careful. Right. And they should be careful. <laughs> All right. So here we go. So the couples in the the five people in the woods in the cabin are getting ready for their big day. They're swimming in the lake. They're doing all, you know, horror movie stuff. And and now we go back to the control center. And here's one of the great fun scenes in the movie where they're all starting to place bets on who's going to win this contest. 
Yep, it's betting time, and they're basically all going around and being like, you know, here's some money, here's who, here's what I vote for. And at first, you're kind of like, I don't really know what we're voting for, <laughs> but you're just kind of going along with it. You're like, whatever. Uh, some guy comes up and and places his bet, and they're like, I don't even think we have one of these. And he's like, No, no, no. They they said we did. And he's like, Well, they would know, and just keeps on going. <laughs> Ronald, the intern, is a great person in this one because uh, <laughs> he comes up and he's like, oh, I don't know. What do you think I should do? Should I place a bet for this? And he's like, I just want this moment to end. <laughs> yeah, okay. So to paint a bigger picture for people who might not see the movie, the young people are in the woods. They will be summoned down to the basement of the cabin. And down there, there's dozens of little souvenir trinkets figurines and stuff and they're all forbidden you should not be playing with them and whichever one they choose will summon the monster that will eventually come to kill them and that's what all these people in the control room are betting on who is going to win who's going to be the monster that kills them so we don't see who they're betting on but that's what they're betting on there's a fun payoff for that later and there's a good explanation in this scene as well, because I think the um, their their guard person, I don't remember his name, but the like more military guard guy, um, he's he's like, well, what, you know, if if you're choosing it for him, and he's like, ah, 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 we don't choose this, and that's what you were saying earlier, like they have to do this of their own free will, they have to ignore the harbinger and all that. So yeah, this okay, that's very important. Let me have the exa- let me show the, let me do the exact wording here, where yeah, the. Uh, the Truman says, if you're if you're fixing the contest, how can you bet on it? It's not fair. And so he's explaining. He says, uh, it's not fixed. The kids have free will. We just get the kids into the cellar. They take it from there. So everything beyond a certain point is up to the kids. And, and they'll explain later in the movie, oh, the kids must be punished. It's all part of the ritual. And it's really, it's a almost a critique on people who like horror movies. Like if to have a horror movie, you must follow these rules. It's kind of squeamish in a way, but it goes a different direction. But it's like the kids must choose and they, then they'll be punished. And that makes it satisfying to watch. So it must follow the same pattern every time. Right. Which again, goes back to it. It kind of explains a lot of other movies. Exactly. Yeah. This, it, it's really interesting when you watch this and then watch a movie that plays it straight, like the evil dead. It's like, you know, that it could explain the evil dead. If you think about it. Yeah. It could explain a whole lot of movies. That's, I love it. <laughs> okay, so here we go, back to the cabin, and the party is about to begin. They're uh, drinking, getting high, dancing. Jules, the slutty one, is giving everyone lap dances, and she makes out with a wolf head on the wall, which is a nice moment. A moose? You mean a moose? I'm sorry, yeah. <laughs> Please explain that joke for people who might not have got that. I'm sorry, the, the moose-slash-wolf joke. So it is Marty's turn to, like, truth or dare somebody. He's like, Jules, truth or dare. And she's like, dare. And he goes, I dare you to make out with that moose head over there. And they're like, Marty, have you ever seen a moose? And it's, like, clearly a wolf head. And he's like, moose, wolf, whatever that mystical creature is over there. So, spoiler here, later in the movie, does he think that she gets attacked by a were-moose? Not, does she? Does he say something like that? No, he that? doesn't. I'm just thinking that later in the movie, Dana gets attacked by a werewolf. Does he think it's a were-moose? I would hope not. I would hope at this point he would know what a what a wolf is. A were-moose would be a very interesting movie to have, though. I will say that. I'd watch it. Cabin's closed. Were-moose out in front should have told you. <laughs> 
So, uh, yeah, so they're all playing truth or dare. And then they're, the, again, much like the Evil Dead, there's a little trap door that goes down to the bottom of the cabin, and it suddenly slams open, you know, in, in an ominous way. And one of the characters... Oh, must be the wind. Yeah, must be the wind. <laughs> and so they're like, should we go down there? And because they're playing truth or dare, someone says, I dare you, Dana, to go down in the basement. And we go down to one of my favorite set pieces in the movie, which is just an elaborate trap to see which <laughs> evil being they're going to summon. Oh, yeah, it's so cool, though, because at first, like, one of your first watch-throughs, you're just like, well, this is just a cellar full of crap, because it's basically what it kind of looks like. It's just, I mean, there's, like, random music boxes, an old wedding dress, a conch shell, a, there's a couple old rolls of film, and you see a lot of other stuff in the background, but it's it's all this stuff, and they all start, um, each each person, each of the five, they all start playing with something a little bit different, Um but Dana picks up a um, a diary and actually it, it, this really ominous music starts playing because then you're like, oh, well, who's going to get finished first? Is he going to play with this puzzle box and open it first or is she going to put this necklace on? And you're like, what's going to happen? But Jules opens the diary and starts reading from it first and that kind of stops everybody else um, and kind of they all start focusing on her then. Yeah, again, I love the way the director sets this up. <laughs> he has five different characters all fingering and playing with little trinkets and music boxes and film strips. And it's like, which one of them is going to summon evil and how is it going to come? And let's see, what is my favorite thing? here? I love the rusty saw blades down there. And there's the creepy old organ. And there's old pictures and, uh, yeah, the medallions, film reels, jewelry box. Uh, but, yes, they choose the old Pioneer Diary. Which is uh, which is labeled the Diary of Anna Patience Buckner, 1903, and it's all about. Uh, okay, you may remember this better than I do. What is the sad story of Anna Patience Buckner? What happened to her and her family, according to her diary? Uh huh. Um, so the diary basically tells of how um, basically they love like it's kind of like they love pain. And she's like, we must learn to love this. And she's like, mama screamed all night till daddy cut her open and put coals in. And then he's like, you know, the the torturing and pain gives him the husband's bulge. And you're just like, oh, Lordy, 1903 speak. Let's do this. Um, And and it turns out, like, at one point they, they had hacked off her arm and at it. They also cut open her belly and filled it with hot coals. Yeah. So this is the masochist family from 1903, the masochist pioneer family. And that they are this family that is going to be summoned. Again, it's a funny little thing that out of all the evil creatures we could have summoned, they picked a pioneer journal written by the, as we find out later, the zombie redneck torture family. They're the ones that are going to be summoned. Yep. They definitely are. And, and yeah, they were just reading her normal diary at first. And then, lo and behold, at the end, there's Latin. <laughs> yes. If, you get, if you're in a creepy cabin in the woods and you find a diary in the basement about death and dismemberment, and there's Latin at the end that says, please read this out loud. Don't read it out loud. Don't read the Latin. Like, I, like, yeah, that doesn't even have to be stated. Like, you should never read it. 
Just don't. Just don't. And Marty, the stoner, warns them. He's like, why are we reading the Latin in this de- this demon journal? And they're like, no, don't worry, Marty, you're high. And Marty will be the only voice of reason in this, only mo- in this whole movie. But again, all this is, it's making fun of horror movies that pe- characters always do the stupidest stuff, is that <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the scientists have set all these traps, and this just happened to be the one that, uh, that they are going to read and do something stupid, and they're going to summon the zombie family. But, as we find out later, one of the controllers was really hoping they would have summoned the merman instead. He's like, he had it in his hands! He had the conch shell. And they're like, who knows what would have happened in a few more seconds. Maybe next year, man. <laughs> yeah, this is the betting scene earlier when they're betting on which monster's going to kill them. One of the controllers, Mr. Hadley, apparently he bets on the merman every time, and it never happens. And he, want, and he, just, he just wants to see a merman. That's his number one thing. And the other controller's like, no, no, they're disgusting. They're so messy to clean up, you never want to see the merman. But Hadley is so disappointed that they almost summon the merman. And... I got to say, there's a fantastic payoff to that later in the movie. Oh, there is. But it's 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 so funny. They call him Aquaman. They're like, okay, Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so these people have picked up this Pioneer Journal, and this creepy voice says, read it, read it. And they read the Latin out loud, and suddenly out, outside, again, just like the Evil Dead, this zombie family, the Buckners, raises from the ground. To, they've been summoned to do hell's bidding and kill anybody in the cabin. And now we cut back to the control center where everybody's cheering because this is where we learn the maintenance department won the bet. They're the ones that bet on the zombie redneck torture family. And that is distinctly different from zombies. It's like the difference between elephants and elephant seals. Yeah, for people who haven't seen the movie, that she's talking about a quote <laughs> that someone says, wait, I had zombies, I win the pool. And they have to explain to her, no, zombies is different than zombie redneck torture family. It's like a whole different genus. So, <laughs> so she is out of luck. Although, did you, how careful did you pay attention to that board of all the other monsters that could have been picked? So, honestly, I have never paid that much attention to the board. I've looked at a couple things, and I know there's some weird ones on there, but I haven't paid that much attention. Okay, well, for purposes of completion, I will read some of the monsters that were failed to be summoned on this particular experiment. We did not get a werewolf, an alien beast, reptilius, clowns, witches, sexy witches, (laughs) (laughs) demons, hell lord, Here's my favorite, Jesse. This one's right out of Evil Dead. The Angry Molesting Tree. Oh, we we see it, though. I know. It makes a cameo later. (laughs) It does make its cameo. That's funny. That's funny. That is straight out of the Evil Dead. Let's see. We had, yeah, Giant Snake, Deadites, Mummy. Here's one just called Kevin. (laughs) They never explained Kevin. I want to know who Kevin is. I think that's Elijah Wood, actually. I think I read somewhere. That might be a a reference to Elijah Wood. No way. I think... Oh, I was like, are you really like, is, is it really? I read on the end of the trivia, Internet Movie Trivia today that it was a reference to a very benign looking serial killer in some movie. And I vaguely have in my memory that it's Elijah Wood, but it might be wrong. But it's it was like an inside joke between the producers and the directors. That's funny. No, I'll have to look into that because now you've got me curious. I want to know who Kevin is. All right. So who else? <laughs> we also did not see the scarecrow folk or a snowman, a dragon bat. Here's some good ones. Dismemberment goblins, oh. a sugar plum fairy. <laughs> I like that one. 
<laughs> There's the merman, the merman again, and the unicorn, a jack-o'-lantern, twins, and dolls. So those are all the ones that did not get picked. Huh. Which, what's fun, though, is like, at least we kind of get to see them later. <laughs> we do. Yeah, We're going to see every one of those creatures later in the movie. There's a stunning finale here, quite a special effects uh, showcase. But yeah, so right now, the maintenance department won, and along with, I forgot, Ronald the intern also. Ronald the intern? Yeah, he won because he bet on the zombie redneck torture family. He sure did. Okay, so here we go. Uh now they're going to start explaining down in the command center to Truman, the security guard, why they have to do this. Let's see how you can handle this one, Jesse. What is the bigger picture here? Who are they trying to appease with this blood ritual? The ancient ones. Now, that's a vague answer. Let's get more specific. Who are the ancient ones, Jesse? Oh, they are these, um, they're the old gods. They're the gods that live under the world, basically, in the world under the world i don't know how you would say that probably in it um and kind of not control everything but they're 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 the gods that they have to appease and i think they say something uh, at one point about like all of these monsters that they have are remnants of the old world um that they've that that, that they have that they could have chose from yeah there's quite a theology going on in this movie that i'm not sure it would quite pass the biblical test it's like it's like there's greek mythology it's like like almost like uh the titans uh like in greek mythology that live under the earth and now this our world is on top of that and the scientists have to do this horror ritual over and over and over successfully to please these ancient gods that live under the earth or the ancient gods will rise up and destroy the planet yeah, it's basically like a sacrifice for, for these ancient ones, and they have to do it every year, um, and they – it's not just like the U.S. doing it. There's, there's other – you learn there's like Stockholm, there's Japan, there's, there's a, few other, um, a few other countries and places that try to participate in this to try to appease the old ones. And they don't all have to succeed. It's just like one has to succeed. Yeah, it's, I, I was wondering that. So every country is doing this ritual, and all – just want us to succeed, and it's always the U.S. and Japan. We learned earlier in the movie they're the only countries that really, you know, have their shit together in killing teens in a, in movies. <laughs> yeah, Japan is number one. Japan has never failed until this year, and then um, the U.S. was number two. Yep. Yeah, and I do like uh, there's a running subplot this movie as we see the American experiment, which is an Evil Dead experiment. We see on the monitors in the background the Japanese experiment, which is basically the ring. And it's like water ghosts terrorizing little girls in school uniforms and trying to eat them. So it's like we see that in the background that Japan is running their own horror movie as well with traditional Japanese horror movie elements in it. I think it's a neat little touch. Yeah. Oh, I enjoyed that because, like you said, it's like the ring, the grudge. It's like that kind of creepy looking girl floaty person. And yeah, it's it's. I did like that. But yeah, to jump ahead, what's going to happen in this movie is the American ritual is going to fail because Marty is going to end up outsmarting what's going on. The Japanese one's going to fail, too, and it will basically lead to the end of the world and all hell is going to break loose when every single monster in this universe is going to be released into the command center. Just so you kind of know where it's going, it's going to get really complicated up to that. So I'm just telling you where we're going before we get there. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's go back to the cabin in the woods. They have summoned the Buckners. This is the pioneer <laughs> torture sadist family who enjoy adding each other's arms. 
and they have been raised from the dead. And so here we go from here on out. It's just a long string of attack scenes of the zombies off most of the people in the cabin. Pretty much. Um, and it all starts out with Kurt and Jules running off into the woods to go have sex, which is like how every horror movie starts out, it feels like. Um, so, yeah, they run off into the woods. And this is a scene where you also get a little bit more of kind of how they control everybody because they're running off and they're like, oh, well, she's like, I don't know if I want to do it. It's kind of cold. And so they up the temperature a little bit. They put some pheromones out. And she's like, oh, well, it's dark. Let's go back to the cabin. And then they make the moonlight, like, show through to this little peaceful moss bed that they have. And so they lay down and proceed to start trying to have sex anyway. <laughs> There's a great moment in this scene that made me laugh where all the scientists, like every in the control room is just Mr. Sitterson and Hadley. They're the only ones paying attention to this. But every other male staff member in the building has wandered in because they know this is the sex scene. And that's what has to happen in a horror movie. And so they're all there and the girl's getting ready. She's straddling her boyfriend, getting ready to take her top off. And she's like, no, nah, it's too cold. And we come back to the conference room and it's like 200 middle-aged guys in t shirt shirts and ties all going, no. <laughs> like oh and they're like no and then, and then Sitterson and Hadley are just like get out of here we've got work to do get back come on this is science back off <laughs> so so yeah so she eventually gets topless which again is part of the ritual Sitterson says we must have breasts and we must appease the people watching which again a nice criticism of people who watch horror movies that <laughs> they're just there for the boobs yeah, they're like, wait, we're, he's like, you're gross or, or something along those lines. And then he's like, no, we're not the only ones watching, dude. This is part of it. Yeah, this is for the ancient gods, dude. We're doing this for, you know, for a bigger purpose. Well, but it's so funny because they have this just dead expression on their face. Like they have, Sitterson and Hadley are just kind of like, yeah. We've seen this before. Well, yeah, you wonder how long they've been doing this job. Like, and how often does this experiment run? Is this once a year, once a week, once a month? How often are they getting girls topless and then butchering everybody? That's, that's very true. I see, I had always assumed it was once a year, but you're right. It could be more frequent. We don't know how often these gods need to pee. <laughs> Well, it's funny. I don't know if you read this, but the, the director at a Q&A at the end of this movie, someone asked him, is there going to be a sequel to this? Because, you know, there's so many spinoffs you could do with this to explain the universe. And the director's like, I'm sorry, did you not see the end of my movie? How am I going to have a sequel? I was about to ask. I was like, did, did you watch the movie? <laughs> anyway, but you could. You really could expand on this. Okay, how often does this happen? What would be it be like in a Japanese control room? Like, you really could, if you wanted to, you know, do the expanded universe of Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, I don't think it would necessarily be a sequel because you really can't have a sequel, but an expansion, yeah. Okay, so we're about to get our first death. And again, we're 45 minutes into the movie. There's not been one death in this movie unless, I guess, you count the bird. <laughs> <laughs> but it gets pretty brutal here because, hey, guess what? The Buckners do enjoy torturing and killing people. Oh, that's an understatement. Okay, so pour, we're going to pour one out for poor Jules here. What happens to Jules? So um, they're in the midst of everything, and you see her hand, and one of the Buckners just stabs a knife into her hand. Uh, Kurt, her boyfriend, kind of gets thrown off of her and kind of knocked out for a minute, and then he gets held back by these other zombies. Um, so they're not really attacking him. They're just kind of like 
holding him back. Um, and then one zombie grabs her, and there's two others, one on each side with this big old, like, old-school handsaw that you would use to cut down trees. So it's like the two-person, like, saw, um, and they cut her head off with it. Yes, our first death in the movie, Jules gets her head cut off with a giant tree saw. A very rusty giant tree saw, so yeah. And the movie does have fun with it. The blood will be flowing quite uh, <laughs> quite liberally here. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not like grotesque like some of the other. I mean, it, it, it has a point to it. Yeah, so. it's evil daddy. It's over the top. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so Jules has been sawed in half. Chris Hemsworth, Kurt, gets a, my favorite weapon in this movie. It's like a bear trap. I don't, what is that thing on a chain that he throws, the, the zombie throws into his back? It has to be a bear trap. I don't know what else it could be, but he, like, swings it around and just, like, launches the bear trap, and it, like, clamps onto his back, and it, oh, I can just imagine the pain. Well, what's funny is, like, three people get that bear trap into their back in the movie, and it never kills any of them, and, like, that would kill anybody. <laughs> I mean, I would assume. I mean, granted, who knows how long they've been underground. It might be a little rusty. <laughs> it might mean sharpening, but no, that would at least, like, incapacitate you. I mean, it's going into your back. It's not like you have fleshy to absorb the the shock. Like, it's it's going into your, like, spine and stuff. <laughs> Well, yeah, and t to be fair, Chris Hemsworth was very muscular, so perhaps he could have absorbed it. True. Or maybe the zombie just didn't throw it that hard. We don't know. So anyway, yeah, our first death, Jules dies, and we cut back to the command center, and the scientists are watching, and they're like, that's one down. And they well, – this is kind of interesting. It's going to be hard to visualize. There's a room in this control center that has mosaics, like a sculpture representing five different archetypes. We find out later one's the – the what is it the, the the whore the jock the scholar the virgin and the fool and so they're going to kill the archetypes in a certain order that must be followed to complete this ritual and the whore must be first so we see her little mosaic fill with blood to represent that she's dead yeah they basically um hadley and uh, citizen kind of say a little prayer which we learn is to the ancient ones hoping that they accept his sacrifice. He goes and pulls a lever. It breaks a glass, and her mosaic uh, tone, or stone slab fills up with blood. Yeah. Okay, so that's one person down. So Chris Hemsworth, Kurt, runs back to the cabin, and uh, we get a little funny scene here where Marty, the stoner, he's the only one who's going to figure out. He's already saying, why are people not behaving like themselves? Why are they doing irrational things? We will find out later that they have treated Marty's stash of weed with a chemical to control him, but Marty had his own stash that they didn't know about. So he's not controlled by the same pheromones and chemicals that everybody else is. So he's seeing through this. He's like, why did they go off into the woods to have sex? Why are people trying to get me to go outside? At one point, there's these voices, go outside, go for a walk. And he's like, no, I control my own actions. And then the funny moment, he's like, I think I'll go outside. Yeah, I know. That's so funny. Because he's like, go for a walk. And it's just, it's like the wind whispering to him. And you're like, Marty, you're you're really high or you're hearing voices. Like, I don't know which one it is. And then he's like, yeah, I think I'll go for a walk, guys. I know you'll like this. Marty walks by. He's going outside to go for his walk. He passes Dana and Holden on the, the couch making out. And Marty just says, oh, he's got a husband bulge. 
Uh, it cracks me up. It's just some of those lines, you're just like, what? <laughs> for those of you who are not pl- paying attention, husband bulge is pioneer talk for boner. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. If you ever read pioneer porn, that, that word may come up. I wonder if that's I wonder if that's a thing. That's weird. I, everything's on the internet, so it wouldn't surprise me if that's there somewhere. Yes, go go Google pioneer era porn. See what you can find after this. <laughs> Kid, any kids who are listening, go do that. That's a good thing to do with your spare time. <laughs> okay, so um, Marty goes outside and he gets tackled by Kurt, who's running back in. He's like, "Jules just got killed. Jules just got killed." And to back this up, a zombie shows up with a little souvenir to to drive this point home, what exactly is he holding that he throws into the cabin? Oh, he's holding Joel's severed head. Yeah. What? No, not in this movie. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Just tosses it right to her sister. It's like, here you go. Here's your sister. And like, she stares at it for, to me, what would take longer, like than normal to scream at it. But she just kind of holds it for a second and then tosses it and screams. Well, she is the most popular sister now. So when. Right. <laughs> okay, so they barricade the house. There's the four survivors, and all these zombies are outside trying to attack them. And the, I love this little moment where Kurt, the leader, is like, we need to stick together and all band together. And we cut back to the control room, and Mr. Hadley's like, fuck, no, no, don't stick together, split up. And Mr. Sitterson's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. He releases some mist into the air ducts, and it comes down, and Chris Hemsworth immediately goes, you know what, we should split apart. We can do more damage that way. <laughs> Yeah, he pulls a Fred out of Scooby-Doo. He's like, no, gang, let's split up. And he tells it, he's like, everybody, go to your rooms. It's the only time Chris Hensworth has been compared to Fred. Well, it's true. It's totally a Fred move. I'll take Daphne and everybody else can just go do whatever. I don't care. <laughs> okay, and so this is where they all split off into different parts of the cabin. And Marty is the first one to discover something unexpected. What does he notice here that is not something you'd normally find in an abandoned cabin? So in his attempt to barricade, because they go into their rooms and they get locked in their rooms by the, uh, by Sitterson and all them. Um, and Marty's trying to close this window and he breaks a lamp and he's like, oh crap, I broke a lamp. But then he notices in it, there is this, um, there, there's a camera and he's like, whoa, am I on reality TV? And then just starts like pulling it and it's like wired into the walls. And so, yeah, he learns that they are indeed being watched. Yes. The stoner is the first one to figure out someone's watching us in this cabin. And he is already on high alert because people are not behaving like normal people. And he's like, you know, I think we're on TV and back in the control room, they panic. They're like, no, 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 no one has ever discovered the cameras and microphones before. This is a bad idea, but they still think they can control the situation. Much to their surprise, they are incorrect. Well, they they think they're like, um, I I think it's Hadley tries to call down to the chem department and they're like, give me this chem in Marty's room. Um, I'm assuming to like sedate him. And they're like, no, 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 wait, Judah Buckner to the rescue. (laughs) Yes. The uh, pariah of the Buckner clan comes up and grabs Marty through the window. And again, this is the stoner, the one smart character in the movie. And they get in a fight outside where, again, the bong, (laughs) Marty pulls out and hits him with it, and they struggle. And the scene ends with, we think Marty gets killed, right? Yeah, he gets stabbed in the back. Um, He's screaming, you know, being drugged by his leg while he's on his belly, um, and basically gets 
uh, pulled into, it, I, I'm assuming his grave, it's Judah's grave. I, I, that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah, I caught that on my viewing today, to the, my last viewing. That is the grave that they all came out of at the start. It's attached to the control center. They rise out of there. So Marty fell down into the grave. And that's how he really discovers the elevator at the end, because he's in the same spot the Buckters started from. Right, he's in that same vessel they came up in. So. Yeah, so Marty and the head zombie tumble down to this hole. We hear this disgusting splat. A bunch of blood flies up. You think Marty is dead. Marty's not dead. It turns out Marty has somehow wrestled the the, the zombie to death and killed him and dismembered him, but we don't find that out until later. But down in the control room, they think Marty's dead. The fool, the archetype, the fool has died. His little... His statue fills up with blood symbolizing his death, but we hear a rumble underneath. The gods are not happy because Marty is not dead, but we won't find that out until later. You know, I never actually caught that, like, they're mad that he didn't actually die and they're saying he did. I just, wow. That's, I've watched this movie dozens of times and I never caught that. I thought that they were just, like, hyping up that every, you know, people were dying kind of stuff. No, see, this is why you got to watch it three times in one week like me. I finally caught that. Yeah, it's it's a little subtle nod, and he even pointed out in the IMDb trivia. You know, wouldn't always catch it that that's what that rumbling is. The gods are displeased because they're counting the fool as dead, but he's not dead yet. And right, and they don't know that. Which they had vital signs on everybody. They had a whole monitor with vital signs. I don't know how they didn't know he wasn't actually dead. Yeah, Sitterson and Hadley really messed up on this one. There's no way they should have been able to have someone fake a death past them. Not like that. They had too many, too many uh, fail-safes almost. I don't know what else to call it. I think too many tequilas would also be another word. Tequila, my lady. <laughs> All right, so, so uh, two of the people are dead. There's only three people left in the cabin, and now they all kind of go into the basement. There's another place in the basement they go, and this is a creepy room called the Black Room, which I think was the one mentioned in the Pioneer Journal where they cut off each other's limbs. Yeah, it's basically their torture room, which is, um, I guess, kind of adjacent to the basement. Um, but it's they Holden like opens up a hatch in his room, and they go down in it, um, and they find all these torture tools. And Dana's like, "Oh, it's the black room from her diary. This is where he's going to kill us. This is where he killed them." Yeah, Dana has kind of figured it out. This is the the virgin girl, the smart girl, the scholar. She's figuring it out. She's like, this is where we're going to die. And she's starting to realize they're being funneled into a movie, kind of like Marty did. And uh, sure enough, the Buckners come and try to kill them down there. But somehow they escape. I kind of forget. But Dana ends up stabbing the dad of the Buckners a bunch of times in the chest. Yeah, he stabs him in the eye once. And like he, I mean, in normal zombie fashion, that doesn't really stop him. Um, and then she repeatedly stabs him in the chest. And it just kind of slows him down i mean he he's kind of stopped for a minute but he's not done like he's a zombie stabbing them in the chest doesn't do anything we've learned this people <laughs> now now our house here in california we have a torture room in the basement do they is that traditional in kentucky houses as well only in rural kentucky only in rural kentucky <laughs> so you're in the city you're in urban kentucky i am in the, i am in the urban now i did not i used i'm from a very small town but I live in one of the bigger cities in Kentucky now. So. All right. Did you have a torture room in your original house? So uh, we didn't. We didn't have a torture room. But the funny thing is. <laughs> I love that you had to think about that. <laughs> no. Okay. So the reason I had to think about it is because we actually did have this, like, 
dirt cellar that we used for like tornadoes and stuff and every time they open up that hatch and go down into that dirt cellar it reminds me of that but not it's not like i mean obviously we didn't have a torture room but it just reminds me of that so like dirt unpaved like cellars are a thing especially in older houses so i'm so glad i got a serious answer out of that question thank you jesse you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they somehow escape. And this is the moment earlier where Dana has a knife, the virgin girl has a knife, and they have a little button in the control room. They press a button, and it shocks her hand to make her drop the knife. And it's just a neat little touch why people are always wondering, why do they drop their knives in the horror movie? Well, because Hadley and Sitterson make them. Yeah, because, like, you get a little electrical shock, and it goes, and you just drop it. Yep. Okay, so the... the Three survivors, Kurt, Holden, and Dana, get in their RV. They somehow escape the house. And again, nobody has ever escaped a Buckner attack before. We learned that earlier, Jesse. They had a 100% success rate. A 100% success rate. They may be slow, but they are efficient. <laughs> what is the quote? I love this quote. I think we skipped it, where they're, they're talking about the Buckners earlier, the control people, and they're like, you know, they may be zombified, pain-worshipping, backwards idiots, but they're our zombified, pain-worshipping, backwards idiots. Yep, I think Hadley says that. And like I've said, they have some of the best one-liners in this movie. It is great. But these three survivors have escaped the Buckners, and they drive off in their RV. And it's like the first time that's ever happened. And this is a problem because, as we see in the monitor, the Japanese ritual has failed this year. Somehow, this classroom of little girls has outwitted the water ghost and turned her into a happy frog. They sang happy songs and turned her into a happy frog. And I was like, really, guys? How hard is it to kill nine-year-olds? <laughs> I love that. That's one of my favorite jokes, the, this water ghost. Again, it's like the girl in, uh, I forget her name, in the ring. Samora. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, and it's like her trying to kill all these little girls in the classroom. And somehow the little girls have reversed it and summoned her into this little pot, and she turns into a frog. So Japan has failed the ritual this year for the first time ever. So if the U.S. does not complete their ritual and kill these kids in the correct order, all these ancient gods from underneath the earth will come up and destroy the, you know, all of human existence. So this RV chase becomes very important now. Yeah, because they're literally humanity's last hope. Like, literally. <laughs> All right, so what happens with the RV? We go to the cave-in part here. Oh, okay, so they are driving out the RV, and they're like, the tunnel? So, so while we see the three in the RV, it also kind of cuts back and forth to the control room. And Citizen and Hadley are like, the tunnel. The tunnel's not collapsing. And so that's kind of when we learn the tunnel should already be collapsed. Something hasn't happened. And um, Sitterson just takes off running and he runs and runs and runs all the way down to demolition or construction or whatever the, the, uh, the group is. And he's like, why didn't you guys do this? Why didn't you guys set this off? And, and they're like, we didn't have directions. We didn't have the, the go-to yet. So he gets down and does some electrical stuff and causes the um, tunnel to finally collapse. Well, back on the surface, um, we learn that, well, like, they're, like, halfway through this tunnel when it starts collapsing. So Chris Hemsworth puts it in reverse and backs her out of there real quick, like, get the hell out of there kind of thing. So they back it out, and the tunnel's completely gone. The tunnel's completely gone, and they're on the other side, and they're like, we were so close. Yeah, they, they somehow get blocked in with the cave-in. They back up their RV. And the only way out of the little place with their cabin is to jump this chasm. There's like this chasm that's like 
I don't know, a couple hundred feet. And Chris Hemsworth has a motorbike. And he's like, I can jump that chasm. We can get around the cave in. I can get to freedom. And he's like, I will come back with cops and guns and we will kill those zombies. So <laughs> he thinks he's going to escape. And this is where he's going to suffer the same fate that the eagle f- faced earlier. Yeah, he, so being the jock, the sporty guy, um, like Mario said, he has this, like, dirt bike on the back of his, on the back of the RV, and he's like, I can make it, I've made bigger jumps before, so he, like, revs it up, goes down, and starts soaring through the air, and you're like, oh, it, it even plays this, like, heroic music, and he has this heroic speech, and then he smacks right into that invisible force field, and just bounces like a ping pong ball the whole way down. <laughs> yes. Chris Hemsworth suffers a very ignoble death, crashing into a force field, falling down into a bottomless chasm. Yeah, because he never hits the bottom. Like, I watched today and I was like, is there a bottom to this? And it, like, never seems to end. So I don't know. Well, yeah, he is. So he goes down and he will later ascend to the heavens as Thor, but not yet. He's falling for now. Yeah, I think that's canon for the movie. (laughs) I think yes. (laughs) so there's only two people left this is dana the virgin and her quote unquote new boyfriend holden the scholar and they're like well we'll just drive back to the cabin we'll find another wood Uh, we'll find another road and dana has kind of figured this out she's like no no this is too weird something's gonna stop us she like has kind of figured out there in a movie she's like the road will go out or the car will blow tires we're never gonna make it and holden's like no we will we'll be fine but holden is not going to be long for this movie because they did not know that one of the buckner zombies was in the rv the whole time Right, and like halfway through his reassuring speech to Dana, he gets a knife right through the throat, through the back of the seat. And then the RV tumbles into the lake, and everyone goes to the bottom, and Dana swims out heroically. The only girl left, the virgin, the quote-unquote last girl, as they would say. And from here on out, this movie's going to get real weird, because we go down to the control room, and they're all celebrating, because their experiment is over. They think they've won. Yep, they cracked open what I think is a Modelo Negra. I'm not sure, but based on the bottle, beer chemist coming in here, I think that's what they cracked open. Um, and yeah, they all start partying. They bring, uh, they're like tequila, and then they just all kind of have a party. They think it's over because we learned that like he, he's telling. Uh, you said his name was Truman, their their guard guy. Yeah, so he's telling them, and they're like, "Why are you guys cheering? Like it's not over yet." Yeah, she's still alive. Right. They're like, he, she's still alive. And they're like, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand. She doesn't have to live. She just has to suffer. Everybody else has to die. But what happens to her, we honestly kind of don't care. <laughs> yeah. The bigger theology of this movie is basically there's all these gods or titans living underneath our planet. And they watch horror movies for fun. They love seeing young people suffer and be made to die, but they almost die in a certain order. And that is the archetype of every horror movie you've ever seen, that these are just, you know, missions to appease the gods. And again, we've gotten to the end of the experiment. Everybody's died, but the virgin girl. And so everyone's happy. This is where it's the experiment's over. She could live or die. No one cares. And so the people in the control room feel we've appeased the gods. Earth will be spared. But they're about to get in the middle of their celebration a phone call on this important red phone from the director. We're going to meet this director who lives upstairs. And the director says, um, you might want to stop celebrating. Something went wrong. One of the other people is still alive. 
Yeah. And right before that phone call, it's kind of a little um, foreshadowing to an extent because Citizen is talking to the demo team again. And they're like, no, 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 listen, we really didn't get a, like there had to have been a glitch. There was a glitch from a power reroute from upstairs. And Citizen's like, what do you mean upstairs? And then the ominous red Batman phone rings. And yeah, it turns out they're turns out Marty's not dead, y'all. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a problem because I, I forgot about this part. When Dana, the virgin, swims up out of the RV, she somehow swims up to the surface. She's met on the dock by one of the Buckners, I think the dad or whatever, and he just basically beats the shit out of her. He bear traps her and, like, it's funny because they're, like, all partying in the foreground and, like, on the in the background on the screen. You can see her just, like, getting thrown on the dock. I mean, she's all bloody, all beaten, and then they have to be like, oh, my God, like, she can't die yet. Yeah. She, she, if she, she dies, then this is all for nothing. Yeah, she is minutes from dying. We see it in the background during the party. She's getting the crap kicked out of her by the zombie. But we now learn that Marty, the fool, is still alive. And if the virgin dies before the fool, it breaks the whole cycle, and the U.S. fails the experiment, and the world will end. And they're like, oh, my God. This cannot be possible. So they're like, they have to figure out some way that she's going to survive the attack, but she's going to get lucky because luckily her old friend Marty and the bong are going to stop the zombie. Right as Dana's crawling and she's, it's almost like this is her last like ditch effort to try to grab something to kill the Buckner bear trap man. And he's swinging around his bear trap and it wraps around Marty's big old coffee mug bong. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Marty comes and saves the day. Yeah, and from here on out, okay, there's about 30 minutes left in the movie. Hang on to your mm -hmm. butts, as Samuel L. Jackson would say in <laughs> Jurassic Park, because this movie's going to get weird now. To say the least. <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm looking at my watch. How much time do I have to possibly cover the last 30 minutes of this movie? All right, so Marty drags Dana back to where he fell in the grave earlier. And he said, oh, I went down here, I fell in here, and uh, I fought the zombie, and yeah, I had to dismember him. So. Yeah, he had to dismember him with a trowel, so yeah. <laughs> I love it. He's like, yeah, I had to dismember the zombie with a trowel. What have you been up to? <laughs> I know, so casually, like, so, what's up? <laughs> but Marty said, there's a weird elevator here in this grave. It, it shouldn't be here. And he starts fooling around with the circuitry, and he's like, I think some fuckers sent these zombies up to kill us. And he's like, I knew it. This is like a movie. People are doing stuff and sending stuff to kill us. And Dana has also thought that as well. So they've kind of figured out something's going on, and this elevator is the key to it. Yeah, and so so then Dana's like, well, do we go down? And I, I, to me, I feel like Marty would be like, well, do you want to stay here? Like, our only other option is to go down. Yeah, where else are we so, going? So, yeah, let's. Let's hop in this elevator and see what ride we get taken on. <laughs> okay, so this elevator will go down into the control center, the whole nerve center of this movie where all the scientists are. But first, they have to go through the monster repository, which is wonderful. Oh, it is. It's one of my favorite scenes. It's just when they start. It's like this Rubik's Cube of monsters, basically. And they all kind of like get shifted and go in whatever way, but they're all in their own little contained cubicles. And uh, Marty and Dana just start looking around, and that's when they notice um, some of, like the puzzle ball from the cellar is uh, one of the like Hell Lords or whatever you want to call it is holding that. And she's like, they made us choose. 
Okay, yeah, I want to I want to get so people can visualize this if you've never seen it that they're going down this elevator and they end up in this giant room where every monster, remember earlier in the movie there was a contest which monster will come up and kill them. <laughs> this is where they're all stored in their own little hermetically sealed glass cubes. And so Marty and Dana see all the monsters. They stop at each one and you get to see them. So there's like what we a werewolf, sorry, were moose. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a screaming banshee ghost. And the creepy little ballerina girl with teeth for her face. And the one that you said, he's like a Hellraiser guy. He's got saw blades through his face. And he's holding like a little, uh, I know there's a word for it. It's like a little puzzle box. Yeah, I can't think. I, th- I just always call them puzzle boxes. I th- there might be another word. Okay. And that's where Dana, like you said, Dana puzzle or pieces it all together. They made us choose which monster was going to come up and kill us. And she gets mad and starts pounding on the glass as this demon puzzle master is staring right at her. It's a cool little moment. It is. Cause she gets very mad and I can't blame her, but yeah. <laughs> and the thing's just like, yep, I'm here. I get furious when people send monsters to kill me, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> it might be like West coast thing. I'm not sure. No, I think it's just America. I think we all get mad. Yes. Screw you, Japan. That's an American thing. (laughs) We don't sing happy songs to kill our monsters. That's not how we do things in the U.S. of A. So, yeah, we see this giant Rubik's Cube of all these monster cubes. And I, I didn't actually pause it, but I've heard if you pause it, like, there's, like, a hundred different monsters they could have chosen from, and you see a bunch, and there's, like, all sorts of inside jokes. There's one of the cubes has, like, three KKK members in it. <laughs> one of the cubes has a giant kitten in it. I didn't see that. Well, that's that's an interesting way to die. Yeah, but there's all sorts of little homages to other horror movies here, if you look. I know someone said there's a flying purple people eater, which is, like, an old song. There's all sorts of stuff in here. So Marty and Dana just see a couple, and then we go down to the basement, and again, all the scientists are freaking out, like, oh my god, they've escaped the experiment, the fool is still alive, they're coming down here, this is terrible, and they, they're given instructions, right, the security guard, shoot the fool, if you see the fool, kill him, he has to die before the virgin. Yep, that's exactly what they tell them, and they're trying to figure out, they know that they went down into one of these cubes, that they're trying to figure out which one they went in. Okay, so I think we're going to meet the director here, if I recall. So they go down into the security room, and uh, (laughs) a guard comes and tries to kill them. The guard gets stopped by the zombie arm, right? He has a zombie (laughs) hand. Uh, Just kind of grabs uh, grabs the guard that kind of, like, met them at the door. Um, And so the guard starts shooting a little zombie hand and distracts him long enough for Marty to basically tackle him and um, knock him out or kill him. I think he just knocked him out. Uh, But long enough to grab his gun and kind of seal the guard into the cubicle with the zombie hand. Yeah, two things about that. So this is the when Marty fought the zombie in the elevator earlier and dismembered him, the hand is still there. And somehow the hand kills the guard that's trying to stop them. So A, I love that the dismembered zombie comes into play later. But B, Marty is quite a badass for a stoner. He's killing people left and right in this movie. Oh, he definitely is. I think it just must have been pure adrenaline at that point. (laughs) Okay, here's some trivia I read about the movie earlier. There's a scene at the start of the movie when they're all in the dock and they're jumping off to go swimming. And you'll notice Marty is the only one who doesn't. Right. The director said it's because if they all took off their shirts, the actor who played Marty was the most ripped of all three. And it wouldn't have fit his character at all, so they wouldn't let him take his shirt off. That's hilarious. (laughs) 
<laughs> he was more ripped than Chris Hemsworth. That kind of, I mean, yeah, I guess it would have ruined like his character, but it almost would have just made it funny too. <laughs> so that's why Marty is able to systematically kill every movie, every monster in this movie. He's ripped. <laughs> yeah, so you were going after Hemsworth earlier. You picked the wrong one, Missy. I did. I did. Oh, oh my God. You're a Marty girl. No, Lord. So uh, Dana and Marty get down into the control room, and this is where they get a voiceover from the director, the person controlling this whole experiment. And we find out later it's someone famous. Who would that be? Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Right out of Aliens, this is Ripley herself, is now the one controlling this experiment. That was their big get for the movie. They got Sigourney Weaver. It cracks me up because I like the first time I watched it, I was like, "Really? This is who this is?" It was, it was funny. It's Zool. Oh my God! It's the Sumerian <laughs> god Zool. No, uh, do you know who who the other actress they were considering getting for that role was? I just read this. No, I don't hear. Jamie Lee Curtis from Halloween. I was about to ask. I was because the only other one I was like, so like Scream Queen herself, like it, that's the only other one I could have maybe saw would have been her. Okay, cool. I would have loved that. So yeah, the director says you two shouldn't be down in the control room. What's happening to you is part of something bigger. She's like, I know you must feel this is terrible and you must be frightened, but you must realize this is part of a ritual. We must placate the ancient ones, those who live below, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, <laughs> she's like, forgive us. But so they're, they're being warned, like, do not get to the end. This is bad for you. Even if you survive, the whole world will die. But it's okay because we're not quite to the big, exciting conclusion yet. Oh, no, not quite yet. So um, they notice all the SWAT team because now, like, they've basically sent in their last resort, which is the SWAT team to try to kill Marty. Um, but they notice and they go and hide in this kind of control room. It's the elevator control room, I guess is a better way to say that. Um, and then one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. <laughs> I think this is probably everybody's favorite scene. No, it's just glorious. Uh, because they're in there and they're hiding from the SWAT team. And they're like, what are we going to do? Like, basically, we're backed into this corner, literally. And uh, Dana notices there's a button that says, system purge wonder what that could do so she flips a few switches and hits the big red button and um all the elevators go ding <laughs> yeah if you've never seen this moment before this is just a, such a fantastic scene even people who don't like this movie i have to think probably enjoy the scene there's this huge lobby with all these elevators that are attached to all the creature portals where the creatures can come and you know be released into the cabin in the woods for the experiment dana hits the button she releases every single creature in the repository into this one elevator lobby where the swat team is waiting and oh my holy hell are we about to see some carnage Oh my gosh, within like 10 seconds, the the whole room is painted red with their blood. Like literally. <laughs> yes. Dana says, let's get this party started. Hits the button. Oh my God, every monster you've ever seen in your nightmare, in a horror movie, in your imagination, comes flooding into this lobby, into the control center. They just dismember everybody and like who, who do we see here? We see the the dragon bat. This is where I think we see the molesting tree. We do see the tree in that scene. Um, 
the, I think the dismemberment goblins are there because there's a couple little fly things that break a guy in half. So I think that's the dismemberment goblins. Um, I know the clowns come out at one point. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Literally, like you said, anything you could fathom and think of is it's coming out of those elevators. <laughs> and it's not like all of them at once. It's like, okay, we have a round of, of them. And then, ding, another <laughs> round. Ding, another round. Oh, I mean, I don't use this term lightly, but that's like horror porn. If you like horror, this is every single horror monster being unleashed onto the screen at one time, including my favorite, the unicorn, who is, is not traditionally a horror monster, but there's a scene where a unicorn runs and gores the guy up against a wall and kills him. So the dreaded unicorn even shows up. Just keep impaling him a couple times. Yep. <laughs> And, and there's even like the, the 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 strangers. If you've ever seen the strangers, like those kinds of creepy people. There's like your doctors that dismember and kill people. There's your it clown. There's like it's literally everything you can pretty much fathom. Yes, it's every horror movie of monster of all time thrown onto the screen at once, including. And here's this great scene where they get into the control room. All the monsters again. They're just gonna wreak havoc on every single person in this organization. And they get to the control room, and this is where we get Mr. Hadley, who all along all he wanted to see was a merman kill somebody. Mr. Hadley will be killed by a merman. Oh, it's a glorious scene because I think that they were trying to open up some like trap door and it, a little explosion happened and he got like kind of sent backwards and and became kind of incapacitated. Um, and then as he's coming to in this fog and the dust is settling, you hear this like slapping noises and you're like, what on earth? And then lo and behold, this merman just comes up right in his face and he goes, oh, come on. <laughs> and it just eats his face and i'm like yeah you got your merman <laughs> i love that that's my favorite moment and i've read so many people uh, even on the internet movie database trivia they said that's the moment that got the biggest round of applause from the audience when hadley gets eaten by the merman he's been dying to see for decades and all he says is oh come on I mean, he got to see it. You get what you ask for, buddy. And I love earlier in the movie, they, uh, Sitterson says, you don't want to see a merman. They're a mess to clean up after. And you see why. Because when the merman eats you, all your entrails and blood go shooting out the merman, the back of his head onto the floor. Yeah, his like blowhole or whatever. And, and I was like, oh, hmm, that makes sense. Okay. I read when they filmed that scene that they actually had nine minutes worth of blood coming out of the back of the merman, but they had to cut it down to five seconds for the movie. Oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine nine minutes of that just on the screen? Yeah, just nine minutes. Probably in the background of other scenes, you just see blood shooting out of the merman. <laughs> but yeah, the, the sugar plum fairy gets released. The witches, the sexy witches, they're all here. Sitterson tries to escape. He gets stabbed by Dana. So basically, everybody who can stop this carnage is now dead, except for Dana, Marty, and the director. And I think right before he dies, Sitterson tells Dana, kill Marty, kill the fool, or we're all going to die. Right, and as soon as he says, kill Marty, and Dana's just kind of staring at him, Marty comes up and is like, here, this will make you feel better, and hands her his gun. Well, he is the fool. I know, and I'm like, y'all, did you not hear what he just said? Like, and you're giving her a gun, but okay, that works. Okay, I just uh, remembered my favorite uh, monster that gets released. There's like this scorpion-looking thing. He looks like a transformer. He's metal. 
Oh, yeah, that's going down the stairs. It does look like a, a, a metal scorpion. Yeah, he looks like Bumblebee, but he's like a like he's like he's a um, scorpion, and on his tail he has a buzzsaw. Buzzsaw, yeah. <laughs> you only get that for like a brief moment. It's on one of the screens they're watching, but yeah. Yep. It's great. But yeah, I just love the carnage. And again, this is Heather Langenkamp and her husband. These are all their creature effects thrown in, in this movie, in this huge battle royale of blood at the end. They did good. They did good with the special effects. That's right. Good job, Nancy. All right. So we're going to finish the movie down in the sculpture room again. This is where the five little sculptures or sand mosaics are on the wall. And, you know, Dana and uh, and Marty are down there, and everything's crumbling around them. All these people are dying. There's blood all over the place. These monsters are killing everybody. And Sigourney Weaver finally shows up and explains to them the rules on why Marty has to die or it's going to end the world. Yeah, she basically comes down and just explains the whole plot in like five seconds. Uh, she's she's like, yeah, so there's ancient ones. We have to appease them. The whore has to die first. Doesn't matter if the virgin dies, but this is what has to happen. You all have to be young. You all have to suffer or else the whole world ends, basically. I love at the end, Sigourney says, so you must die in this order. And the virgin, she's the one that's left. And Dane is like, virgin? I'm not a virgin. And Sigourney's like, you know, we work with what we have. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, well, you're for the purpose of this experiment, you're close enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, and Sigourney says, if we don't pull off this ritual, if Marty doesn't die and you survive, the ancients, the titans, will rise up from the depths of, you know, Tartarus or whatever and destroy the earth. And so she's like, uh, you have eight minutes left. The sun will be up in eight minutes. Kill the fool. She's telling Dana, kill your friend or everyone's going to die. And this is where we get a scuffle, right? Yeah. Like, well, she pleads with her. She's like, you can either die with them or die for them. Um, and then Dana does point a gun at Marty. She points a gun at Marty and she's like, I've got to do it. I'm going to kill you. And lo and behold, uh, the werewolf sneaks up behind her. The were-moose, pardon me. Uh, sneaks up behind her and just bites her and she drops the gun and Marty and the director start wrestling for it this whole time while Dana's just being attacked by this werewolf. Although there's one line here we skipped over. I forgot about this where Sigourney tells Marty, the fool, you can die for them or you can die with them. And Marty's like, gosh, they're both so enticing. <laughs> I know. Like, oh, man, because either way he dies. I mean, I guess he doesn't really care at the end of the day. Okay, so at the end of the movie here, Sigourney Weaver is going to shoot Marty, but she is killed. And I kind of forgot about this moment. Way, way back in the movie, we were introduced to a character who got her arm at. <laughs> who would that be? That would be old Patience Buckner. Little Patience Buckner. And Little Patience Buckner is actually going to save the day. Well, I guess on how you look at it. She's going to become very important to the plot here at the end. Yes, because as her, as uh, the director and Marty are wrestling for this gun, they're like right on the edge of um, of basically what topples into the pit where the ancient ones are. And they're wrestling back and forth. And Marty notices Patience coming that way. So he like turns the director over to where, you know, Marty's on his back and the director's like on top of him and they're wrestling. And then Patience comes and just stabs her, stabs the director and 
patience and the director topple into this endless pit where the ancient ones are. That's right. Little Patience Buckner, the one that they summon, Dana summoned by speaking Latin, takes an axe to Sigourney Weaver's head, kind of a brutal death. But that's really the end of the movie because the director falls to her death, Patience falls to her death, and it ends with just Dana and Marty sitting there saying, well, you know, I guess the world's going to end now because we didn't complete the ritual. Yeah. They basically are like, well... I guess if humanity kind of sucks, maybe it's time to give somebody else a go. And Marty lights up a joint, and they sit there till the world ends. <laughs> and I love Dana's last line. She's like, you know, this whole movie, we were we were at Kurt's cousin's cabin. She's like, I don't think he even has a cousin. I don't even think Kurt has a cousin. I know. I love it. I wrote down that line specifically. It's always one that stuck with me because I'm like really yeah and so the movie ends with again this just started as a movie with kids going to a cabin like an evil dead movie it ends with them sitting there as these greek gods i believe it's supposed to be the greek titan chronos i read somewhere reaches his hand up it goes through basically the cabin everything on earth comes crashing down and it obliterates the earth every single living being on the face of the earth dies which is admirable even for a horror movie <laughs> and basically everything's done that's the end of human existence it's like oh no more horror movies this is the end all be all literally <laughs> here's a good little line on the internet movie database it says you know death count when it has horror movies death count it says death count for this one and it says 6.9 billion people <laughs> the whole world <laughs> so anyway yeah that's how the movie ends it's like Wow, that was a pretty, uh, uh, very uh, ambitious uh, scale for a horror movie. Yeah, I leave no room for sequels, as we said before. It's it, it makes its statement. Yeah, as the director said, I'm sorry. Did you see the ending of my movie? There's not going to be a sequel. I'm sorry, but there will be at least ten prequels, I guess. Right, there'd be all these prequels, all these spinoffs, but no, no, you're never getting a sequel. And so there we go, one of the, some would say, masterpieces of horror genre. Some would say it's a total abortion and it's embarrassing. Again, it's so polarizing because it goes off the rails. And even in his review, have you read a lot of the reviews of this movie when it came out? No, I haven't. Even Roger Ebert said, I'm not entirely sure that it worked, but I had to just admire how ambitious it was and how many different spin-offs it started going into its into its storyline. He's like, I just kind of had to sit there and admire it. He's like, well, at least they're going for it. Exactly. It's like, well, okay, it's not your stereotypical movie. It's like, well, you tried, even if it wasn't 100% perfect in execution. It it is it sets itself apart. Yeah, but I am dying to hear reactions of people who saw this in the theater, like opening night, having no idea what it was about, because I would like to hear their reaction to it. Because, I, I, again, I saw this many years later. It was only a couple of years ago. So that it's, But, yeah, this is one of those that I could just – it would be really fascinating to go back in time and see people who saw it on opening night, what they thought of it, because there's almost no way to really make up your mind on it after one viewing, I would say. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, even though I had a, a... – I really enjoyed it the first time I've, I've continued to find different things about it and learn more things about it. The more I've watched it. So I couldn't imagine, I would imagine some people probably just walked out or like, I can't believe that they just ended this way. But then you, you know, it, it, it would be very interesting to go back and see it. Cause I didn't see it in theaters either. So it, it would be cool. And again, my gripe is I'm not really high on horror comedies and 
I'm not entirely sure this is either one of those things. Like, Scream I don't like because it's kind of mocking and smug towards horror movies, but this one doesn't take that tone at all. This one seems like it has a lot of respect for horror movies. In fact, there's inside jokes in there left and right. Just one I wanted to mention was when they show all the different cities around the world that their horror movies have failed, they're all homages to horror movies. Like, the Japanese one is The Ring. I think the one in... Spain, Germany. There's one that's King Kong, and the one in Stockholm is clearly the thing, the thing from John Carpenter. If you pay attention, mm-hmm. but there's all sorts of homages, yeah, like that. No, yeah, and that that's super cool because you're you're right because it's not like Scream trying to make fun of them. It's almost like let's kind of dissect this and take this a different direction, but still respect the other movies. Yeah, it's very rare that a horror movie involves Greek mythology and titans. <laughs> I don't don't think I could name another one, to be honest. Maybe the one with Elijah Wood. I think that might be the only one. Elijah Wood. Frodo. But anyway, that is our coverage of The Cabin in the Woods, a movie that I think horror movie fans will probably like. I can't guarantee that. I think non-horror movie fans will find it fascinating. But it's not especially scary, bloody, offensive. I think it's just... It's an ideas movie, and I just think it's one that everybody should see at least once. No, I'm with you on that. It's a very interesting movie, and if you don't like horror movies, give it a watch. If you do, give it a watch. Yep. I think everybody can get something out of this movie. Especially if you watch it downstairs in your torture room. Oh, my God. Yeah, that makes it even better. (laughs) So, you are now finished with your second episode of Staff Picks. How do you think you did? Uh, hopefully okay hopefully i lived up to the hype all this hopefully we will find out if it was you or the beer that did it the first time i i think you did an admirable job but we will see once it's edited in its final form oh okay (laughs) no i think you did a great job and i really appreciate you coming back because i i enjoy talking horror movies with you you are a horror movie junkie just like i am oh thanks i if you get me talking about something i love i'll sit here all day and talk about it and horror movies are one of those things so yeah Okay, well, I guess this is about the time we start talking about your appearance in next year's Horror Month. Which which movie are you going to throw out there this time for me? Oh, you get to pick this time. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, because literally, I I don't know. I've watched so many recently anyway. And, like, I know you're going to do one on The Vacancy. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. actually going to still – I didn't know if you scheduled that one or not. That is a great movie, and I had almost forgotten about that one. Yeah, Vacancy's creepy. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. There's some scenes, like, even when I go to hotels now, I'm like, hmm, the vacancy? It's going to happen. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to throw out a really obscure one, because here's a really obscure horror movie I cannot find a co-host for, and I'm going to task you with perhaps doing this. Go on to YouTube. There's a TV movie called Don't Go to Sleep from about 1982. Watch that and tell me what you think of it. That is a movie that messed up an entire generation of kids because it was a TV movie and kids went into it unsuspecting on how dark a TV movie could actually be. Yeah, especially in the 80s, you wouldn't expect a TV movie to be... Huh. Okay. Yeah, I'll give... You said on YouTube, I'll give it a watch. It's on YouTube. It's not the greatest quality. It never made it to VHS. It never made it to DVD. It's almost impossible to find. (laughs) But I watched it opening night or when it was on TV, and I was seven. And I'm like, I should not have watched that movie. It's creepy. (laughs) That's awesome. That makes it even better. Yeah, no, I'll I'll give that one a watch and see how I feel about it. If you like it, perhaps next October, that will be our, our mission here. 
Cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, once again, thank you, Jesse. Anything else you want to add about this movie before we sign off and you go back to your beer? Oh, no, I'm not going back to beer. I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I I love this movie, and I'm very glad that you had me on to do it. So, um, and I hope it I hope maybe it changed some people's opinions, or at least got some more people to consider watching it. So, yeah, and again, one, a perfect movie to start off horror month. So, thank you. Yeah. Oh no, thank you, Mario. All right. And again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. Until next time, I'll be out there searching for more horror movies for Horror Month 2020, and I'll talk to you guys later. Stay away from the torture room. Bye. <laughs>